chapter in Scripture and in the plan of redemption of our Lord. And if you remember, those of you who were with us back in 2020, um, we started 2020 with a study in Genesis. It was called In the Beginning, and we just covered the first 11 chapters of Genesis. And it was really focused on an apologetic for biblical creation, um, really looking at what the Bible says about how God created uh, the heavens and the earth and, and the scientific evidence that supports and confirms all of those things that we see today. Uh, now that we know more about how the world works and everything around us, we're beginning to not just now catch up with the scriptures, right, that, that were written so very long ago. And so that was a, a fascinating study, hopefully a helpful study for you guys. But, you know, if we were to stop at Genesis chapter 11 and just forget about the rest of the story, then we would be doing ourselves a very big disservice because Genesis chapter 12 picks up with a very important person. And you're going to hear that a lot, and, and depending on how long we, we stick around in, in this uh, study of uh, the, the remaining uh, part of the book of Genesis, we're going to be talking about the patriarchs. We're going to be talking about the, the forefathers of our faith, beginning with somebody that we know to be father. Anybody know? Abraham. Who, who remembers the Sunday school song? Sing it. Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. <laughs> right arm, remember? It's one of the great memories I have from vacation Bible school and, and Sunday, Sunday school. But you know, what does that really mean? How do we become sons of this ancient man that we call Abraham? And what does it have to do with you and me? And what does it have to do with God's big plan of redemption? And we're going to find out a lot about that today in the book of Genesis uh, chapter 12. I'm really just going to probably read the first three verses to get us kicked off, and then we'll dive in together and see how far we can get this morning. So if you have your Bible, Genesis chapter 12, we're going to start in verse 1. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, now take note, his name is Abram at this time, Avram or Avram, to the Hebrew. He's yet to have his name changed to Abraham, but we'll see that a little bit later down the road. But it says, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country. Now, back up, the, that verse 1, just to be clear, it can also mean, and I think it's probably better translated, is that the Lord had said to Abram. And I'm going to tell you why that matters. It's, it's a very small detail, but I think that what we're seeing here is something that the Lord had already said and, and communicated to Abram when he was living in Mesopotamia, and we'll see that in a minute. So it could be said the Lord said or the Lord had already said to Abram, okay, so this was his call. It says, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and those who curse you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So let's kind of pick up where we are on the biblical timeline. I, I think it's important for us to kind of put into perspective where we are uh, on the timeline in history because that, that kind of brings some historical context to where we are. So remember, here we are, we're, we're being introduced to this man, Abram, kind of out of the blue. Now we do we read a little bit about Abram in the previous chapter, chapter 11, because what we find is that this is post-flood, so we've already been through... 
uh, pre-flood time, Noah and his eight, uh, the eight family members of Noah's family were saved through the flood. Uh, we know that after the flood, Noah's three sons, uh, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, uh, began to have children and multiply on the face of the earth. And when you trace chapter 11, was the, the, the genealogies of Noah's three sons, we see that Abram is a direct descendant of one of Noah's three sons. Does anybody know who it was? It was Shem. Okay, and that's very important because if we remember that God is preserving for himself a seed, he's preserving for himself offspring, okay, which is going to eventually lead to the greatest gift that the world has ever seen, but we see that we can trace the, the, all the way back from Adam through Noah and then Noah's son, Shem, okay, and it's important that you understand who Shem was because he was the, the son that God chose to bless uh, his people through this one son of Noah, and Shem was the father of several different people groups in the, in the early post-flood world, um, including Asher. So if you've ever seen Asher in the scripture, that's Assyria. So, so the, the forefather of the nation of Assyria was a Semite. Now, when we say Shem, we're talking about Semitic people. How many of you have ever heard the term anti-Semitic? Now, that's been pre predominantly used today to say anti-Jewish because we know that the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob uh, are Semitic people. But they weren't the only Semitic people because there were other descendants from Shem as well. Asher was one, Elam, Aram, the Arameans. If you, if you, uh, Jesus and his disciples would have spoken Aramaic. Aramaic okay, those were the, the descendants of Aram or Aram. And Eber. Now, Eber is interesting because Eber was a son of Shem. And Eber is where we get the term Hebrew. So Eber, the, the descendants of Eber became who? Hebrews. And that's why we find out in the scripture, Abram is called a Hebrew. Okay, so again, it's, a, it's more of an ethnic distinction more than anything else. And so again, tracing that genealogy, tracing that lineage down from Noah through Shem, through Eber, all the way down to Abram. And so this is where the story picks up in Genesis chapter 12. Now I want you to understand where we are on the, on the timeline. This is some three, uh, Abram was born by all estimations, some 350 years after the flood. 350 years. Now, if we're basing the population of the earth in those days off of our current day uh, reproductive ratios, which we're, we're, we're actually going in this direction for the most part. Fewer people are having children today. Fewer people are getting married. We're not, we're not replenishing the earth's population. You know, there's a, there's a big scare today about how we're overpopulating the earth. Anybody heard that lately? The human race is a pariah on the earth, and we're a cancer to the environment. We just need to get rid of people, and then the environment will be saved. It's a false gospel. Guys, we are running, there, if we don't make some big changes soon, the, the human population is on a what? We're going into running a risk of extinction on the rate that we're going right now. Did you not know that? We're not overpopulating the earth. There's plenty of earth out there for plenty of more people, okay? But in, in our present day reality, we're just not replenishing the, the, the population very well. But in these days, I want you to understand, him, uh, Ham, Shem, and Japheth, all lived hundreds of years after the flood. Abraham lived to be, does anybody know? 
175 years old. So people were living longer, at least those initial generations after the flood, they were living longer, and guess what they also were doing? They were having more children. Abraham had at least eight children after he was 100 years old. So if you live to be two and 300 years after the flood, you're probably having multiple children, multiple grandchildren. You understand how the human population would have grown substantially quicker than it is today. And the only reason I'm telling you that is that by the time Abram comes on the scene, 350 years after the flood, there are estimates right now based on the, the biblical models of reproduction that, guys, there could have been at least 10 to 12 million people on the planet. Because by the time Abram comes on the scene, there are already fully developed civilizations at work. Egypt being one of them, Mesopotamia being the other, where he lived and where he came from. Okay, so we're not just talking about a small group of people who've survived the flood and there's just a few little people hanging around in villages all over the the Middle East. No, we're talking about a robust population of people. So their civilization is already pretty much taking root. And remember, this is post-Tower of Babel. Why is that important? Because at the Tower of Babel, where man came together under the rebellion of God, under the leadership of Nimrod, who was a type of Antichrist, trying to make a name and a city for themselves and to reject God and and call the other gods down by making a gate for the gods. That's what the whole tower was about. We studied that. God came down. He was not pleased with mankind, so what did he do? He confused their languages, and he dispersed them all throughout the rest of the world. So that as those language and ethnic people groups began to settle in all over the world, there the the birth of those ancient civilizations gave rise. And we began to see things in China and India, Mesopotamia and Egypt and all over the really the the known world that there there were advanced civilizations already in place and at work during the time that Abram was called by God. So that kind of gives you a little bit of a background to pick up where we, where we are now in Genesis chapter 12. And so let's, uh, and then here's, a, here's another interesting little fact that I, I like to look at, at the big picture in this way, okay? I, this is not hard and fast, but I, by a general standard. From, from Adam to Abram, about 2,000 years or two days, right? A day with the Lord, it's like 1,000 years, 1,000, so just in, in a, in a general sense, from Adam to Abram, about 2,000 years. From Abram to Jesus, his first coming, two days, about 2,000 years. Jesus' first coming to Jesus' second coming. We're getting close to what? Fulfilling two more days or 2,000 years, which would mean how many days? Six days when we're awaiting one last day or the seventh day or the Sabbath day of rest, which one day is like a what? A thousand years. What do we see in scripture? That final day after Jesus returns and he establishes his kingdom, we will rule and reign with him for how long? A thousand years. So we're all waiting that that Sabbath day, that that holy one day of the day of the Lord, the day of the thousand years of ruling, reigning, and resting with Jesus. And so there is so much significance that is tied into this one person, Abram. And he's all throughout your scriptures. You're going to see him all throughout the Bible because he's a very important character. And I want to get... To the, to the bottom of why that is here this morning. So I'm going to give you a couple of things that are in your handout. The first thing today is that we're going to look at the call of God. We're going to look at the call of God. Now, again, Abram's name, at this point, Avarim or Avarim, the B and the V in Hebrew can be interchanged, so you don't necessarily pronounce the B. You can pronounce it with the V. That doesn't matter. We're going to call him Abram. 
the name Abram literally means exalted father. Okay, now that's going to be ironic in this story. Why is that ironic? He's called the exalted father, but he does not have any what? Any children yet. Okay, so his name is exalted father. And what we see here is that Abram is living in what's called Ur of the Chaldeans. Okay, this is in the heart of Babylon. Isn't it amazing how Babylon shows up here at the beginning of the book and it's going to show up again at the end of the book, right? So Babylon is this, this hotbed, this spiritual center of idolatry and paganism and worshiping of all kind of false gods and immorality and uh, everything that you can imagine underneath this pagan system of worship. This is where Abraham's living in the middle of a pagan society. Not a whole lot different than what we're doing today, is it? The Babylon never really went away. It just shifted and changed faces and, and has moved and morphed. But Babylon, the spirit of Babylon, is still very much at work today, is it not? Amen. So Abram is living in Babylon. He's living in this place called Ur of the Chaldeans. He's, he's there with his father, uh, Terah. He's there with his brother, Haran. He has another... Uh, brother and then his his brother Haran who died prematurely has a son named Lot or Lot and the reason Lot's important is because since Lot's father died I think Abram felt an obligation to kind of take him under his wing so Lot is kind of a, a like a son to Abram's this is nephew okay and so they're they're really tight they're really close and we're going to see that as we go along this journey in the book of, in the book of Genesis but here we are, I want you to picture yourself, here you have Abram living in the middle of Ur the Chaldeans, in the middle of a pagan, heathen society and culture, and God came looking for Abram. Now we don't really know if Abram was really looking for the Lord. It doesn't really say that. He may have known about the one true God, maybe through his descendants, because again, he was a, he was a descendant in the godly line of Shem. So somewhere along the way, the, the godly line of Shem, they would have passed on true knowledge of the one true God. And maybe Abram knew a little bit about who Yehovah was or the Most High God and, and you know, again, giving him these, these different titles. But at the end of the day, my impression is that Abraham really wasn't even looking for God at all. He was probably pretty happy and content living where he was. Because what we see is that Abram and his family, they were pretty well off. They were in the upper echelon of, of society. They were doing well. Whatever it is that they were doing, they were doing well. And so it wasn't that Abram was necessarily looking for the Lord or Yehovah. He may not even have known again who the Lord really was. But what we see is critical to the call of Abram is that it was God who first sought out Abram. It was God who revealed himself personally to Abram. And most importantly, guys, and this is where it's key, God was the one who initiated a relationship with Abram. Now, well, let's stop and think about that for just a second. If God had just decided anywhere along the way that he was just going to give up on man, what kind of hope would we have? We would have no hope. If God had decided somewhere along the way that he just was not going to reveal himself anymore, to mankind in a personal, intimate way, then we would be very, very lost. And yet God is so gracious. God is so merciful. And listen to me, guys. The God of the Old Testament is not 
any different than the God of the new. God has always been gracious. We're not just now living in an age of grace. Abraham, God showed Abraham a tremendous amount of what? Grace. And he's always been gracious in everything that he's done. He showed Noah favor and grace. He's showing Abraham favor and grace. He's showing all the people of the earth so much favor and grace. And so we see that God sought Abraham in this relationship. And so we understand that the culture that Abram's living in is this pagan culture. He's in the middle of Babylon. He was no different than the rest of mankind. He was naturally probably serving pagan gods. He was estranged from, from the, the one true God. And we know this later down the road because we know that, that Abraham, at least his father and his father's family, were idolaters. They were serving false gods in the land of the Chaldeans. Okay? Now let's think about what Paul says, the Apostle Paul, about this. Romans 3, listen to what he says. He says, we have already charged that all, okay, both Jews and Gentiles, Jews and Greeks, we are all under sin. For it is written, no one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. Listen to this, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. No, not even one. And so in our own sinful natures and in being born into the system of this world, this Babylon system that we live in today, naturally in our own flesh, guys, we are just really not out there looking for God. As a matter of fact, it's my contention that because of sin, what did Jesus say? Light is coming to the world. This is the verdict, right? But men loved darkness more than the light. See, what we do naturally as, as sinners is that we want to hide from God. We want to get away from God. We don't want to think about God because that means we would have to acknowledge our condition, our sinful condition before God. And so no matter where, what Abram's heart and life or whatever it was, whatever he was going through at this time, we don't know, but I just want to say he was probably just as much a sinner as you and me sitting in this room today. We know that. He was living in a pagan, idolatrous culture, and Abram needed God to take the first step. We all, and listen to me, we all need God to take the first what? To initiate. To initiate relationship. It's like the little... High, uh, little middle school boy at the first middle school dance. How many of those little middle school boys have the courage to take the first step and initiate that, go ask that little girl to dance? It's very rare, right? Don't have a whole lot of courage in that. And of course, the little girl is not going to, well, maybe these days the little girls are a little bit different. I'm sorry to say that. But generally speaking, the little girls aren't going to go ask the little boy to go dance, right? So, so usually it's the, it's the man, it's the boy who's supposed to take the what? Take the initiative. Take the first step. Introduce himself. Let's, I want a relationship with you. I want to get to know you, whatever it may be. God is the same way. We're not out there looking for him, but thank God he is looking for us. And he's still calling sinners to come to him today. Let me give you a couple of scriptures. Listen to this. Second Chronicles 16. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. Listen to Luke 19, 9, old story about Zacchaeus, right? And Jesus said to Zacchaeus, Today salvation has come to this house since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save 
the lost. What a wonderful promise. Listen, the Son of Man came to what? To seek us. To save us. He came on a rescue mission. We were down here, hopeless, in sin, living in idolatry, rebellious against God, enemies of the cross. And yet Jesus came on a rescue mission anyway. To seek us out and to save us. Which is why Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, what did Christ do? He died for us. What an amazing message. God didn't wait for us to get our act together. He said, I'm going to come and save you and demonstrate true love and demonstrate the power of God. And then, even though you're still sinners, I have hope that you will see my love and you will come to know me and put your trust in me. That's initiation. That's, that's God taking the initiative and being the one to reveal himself to us. Which is why, guys, now that we are, if you're here in a relationship with Jesus, you see, he gave us a mission too. Now, wouldn't it be great if we woke up and we walked outside and God just wrote everything in the clouds for us every day? Hey, this is, this is the truth. This is what I want you to do, whatever it may be. But we're, that's, that's silly because he's already done what? He's already written it down for us. We just got to open the book, right? But think about now as Abraham, we're going to see in a second, he answers the call. But we also have a call. Jesus talking to his disciples just before he ascended to heaven. What did he say? Now, I'm therefore all authority has been given to me under heaven and on the earth. Therefore, I want you to what? Go. I want you to be the initiator in the world. I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. I want you to proclaim the good news of the gospel to all nations. I want you to carry this good news to the ends of the earth until the end of the age. That is our call today. So he wants us to participate with him so that there are so many people out there in this world, guys, who are just like Abram was, just like we were, lost without hope, not looking for God, comfortable in their sin, living in a pagan culture, worshiping false gods and idols. And God is telling you and me they need somebody to go to take the initiative to reveal who I am to them because I want a relationship with them. Guys, let me tell you how easy this is. There's two things you can tell anybody, no matter what kind of place they're in, no matter what kind of lifestyle they're living. You ready? God loves you, and he wants to have a what? A relationship with you. How easy is that? Hey, I don't even know what you're mixed up in, but I know this. God loves you, and he wants to have a relationship with you. Now, if you're interested in that, now let's go talk about it. Right? That's what we're talking about today in the call of Abraham. The Lord reveals himself personally to Abraham. He's saying, I love you, and I want to have a what? Relationship with you. But then comes the decision. Abram had to count the cost. That's the next thing I want to share with you this morning. There's the call of Abram, but there's also a cost to be counted, a cost to be considered. This is what I love about God. God is not some cosmic tyrant up in the heavens striking us down with lightning bolts and making us do whatever it is he wants to do putting us in exact the right places like robots or pulling the strings like a a, a a wicked puppet master who just wants to make people do exactly what he wants to do see that's not the picture of a biblical god god he chooses to operate within the parameters of our free choices 
This is, the, this is the hope of the gospel being communicated through Abraham. Now we understand that just like God revealed himself to Abraham, but then he gave Abraham a what? A choice. He didn't make Abraham do anything. He presented him with a call. He told him all of the wonderful things and promises that he would do for him. But then he said, all right, Abraham, now you have to make a what? You've got to make a choice. Let me tell you something about freedom. See, God will never force you to serve him or love him. Anybody ever tried to force somebody else to love him? How'd that work? You know why? By definition, love must be free. The minute that love ceases to be free, it ceases to be love. It can be a whole lot of other things, manipulation, guilt, bribery, flattery, whatever you want to call it, but it's not what? It's not love. And God, the highest attribute of God is what? Love. Maybe holiness and then love, right? So the love of God, by definition, in order for Abraham to respond to him, he had to give Abraham the what? The freedom to choose and say yes. But Abraham had a decision to make because he had to count the cost. Now, this was the most important decision of Abraham's entire life. He had the opportunity to completely transform his life, to change the trajectory of his eternal destiny. It was going to rewrite his story. This was the decision that was the most essential decision in Abraham's life. Now, we see here in the scripture, and I, I want to bring this to your attention. Look down in, in uh, Genesis 12, 7 real quick. Look at what it says. This is a little bit later after uh, Abraham has uh, decided that he would say yes and he would choose to follow the Lord. Look at verse 7, Genesis 12, 7. Then the Lord appeared to Abram, appeared. This is the indication that the Lord, now there's two, there's two possible situations and we're going to see this Throughout the story of Abram, this isn't the first time that the Lord's going to quote-unquote appear to Abram. Okay? There's two possible uh, scenarios here. It could be that the Lord came to Abram in a vision. And we know that the Lord comes to Abram in a vision at another time. When we say vision, I want you all to understand what we're talking about. It's almost like watching the television. You're not really there, but you're seeing it as if it were, as if it were real. Okay, God does this quite often. He shows people visions. They're not physically there. Even Paul, in his, in his rapture up to heaven, he's like, I'm not 100% sure if I was in the body or if I was outside of the body. I'm not 100% sure what was really going on there, but all I know is that I heard things that I could not even utter. I can't even begin to explain to you what I saw and what I heard there. So either the Lord appeared to Abram here in a vision or the Lord appeared to Abram here in physical what? In physical form. And we're going to see this again in Genesis 15. We're going to see it in Genesis 17. We're going to see it in Genesis 22. We're going to see it all throughout the scripture. Is that the Lord comes to Abram and appears to him in physical form. Okay? So hold that kind of in the back of your head. Because there's, a, there's another application to that on down the road that we'll get to. So anyway, this is a real encounter that Abram has with the Lord. I, I'm of the persuasion that the Lord appeared to him in some type of physical form. Okay, he's talking to Abram, he's, he's manifested uh, himself to Abram, 
he's called Abram into, his, uh, into a relationship, but he's made it clear that it's going to cost him. Well, what is it going to cost him? Look at what it says. Ab- uh, the Lord said to Abram, get out of here, man. Leave. Now, what does he have to leave? Leave your home. Leave your family. You're probably going to leave your profession. You're going to leave all your friends. You're going to leave all your recreation and all the little groups and clubs and things. I don't know if they had all that stuff going on in in, Ur of the Chaldeans back then, but it was a very advanced civilization and society. I'm sure that he had all kind of clout in his community. He's saying, Abram, you're very well respected in this place. You have very much comfort and and wealth and protection and prosperity and respect and and prominence in your community. And I'm asking you to do what? To give it all up. Oh, oh, by the way, Abram, I'm calling you to go to another land. You've never been there. I'm not really going to tell you much about what it's like. Um, you just got to what? Just trust me. Abram had to leave his old life behind. He probably had to leave, make hard decisions, leaving his family, his fortune, his comforts. He, and then more than anything else, let's not forget, they're living in the middle of a pagan, idolatrous society. And the one true God, the Lord, comes to Abram and says, Abram, I want you to leave this place because it's full of the worship of other gods. So I want you to leave them too. And come what? Does that sound familiar to anybody? Anybody else we know in Scripture that keeps on telling us that we got to kind of leave and follow him? Sound familiar? Same thing that we deal with when it comes to our relationship with Jesus Christ. And so we see, as Joshua said in Joshua 24, he said, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Hey, Abram, I need you to leave the worship of other gods. That's Torah. That's the first commandment, right? You shall have no other God's before me. So Stephen, he also uh, makes a point of this. He said, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he left Haran. All right, so this little geography, Ur of the Chaldeans, way down south, the Euphrates and the, and the uh, Tigris rivers, is the, the Mesopotamia is the land between two rivers, okay, that's modern day Iraq. It even goes a little bit into Iran. He was way down in Ur of the Chaldeans, which is at the heart of Babylon. But he traveled with his family up to a place called Haran, which is in eastern Turkey. So they traveled about several hundred miles. But that is where uh, Abram and his family had to make a decision. He was going to part ways at that point. So I don't know what happened. I don't know if Abram convinced his family to move that far with him. That's where Abram's dad finally died. His dad couldn't make the rest of the trip. Maybe that's what was happening. But nonetheless, whatever was going on, God called Abram to Haran. They stayed in Haran until Abram's father, Terah, died. And it is at that point that God finally said, okay, Abram, it's time for you to separate. It's time for you to make a decision. Are you going to stay in this position? Are you going to stay with your family? Are you going to stay where you are? Or are you going to follow me? Now, you know this came with peer pressure problems in his family, probably ridicule, personal doubts, all kind of risk. Now, guys, what I see in the Western church today is a shame. And I I don't want to mince words right here. 
is that unfortunately for too, far too long we have taught what's called an easy believism. We have a church service, we have a, a, a revival, whatever you want to call it. We preach a message of salvation, we give an altar call, we say raise your hand or come down here and you, you do this magical formula and you pray the certain prayer and then you're in. And that's it. And, and that's where a lot of our modern Christianity really stops. So we want to tell them about Jesus. We want to get a, a number. Hey, how many, how many people got saved at your revival, brother? I mean, that's the kind of stuff we measure ourselves by these numbers, uh, how many people got baptized, whatever it may be. But how many of us are really coming and preaching a full gospel, not just talking about a life insurance policy or a get-out-of-jail-free card where, yeah, you love Jesus as Savior, but, guys, we need to start teaching people about Jesus as Lord, Master. For too long we say, hey, you can have Jesus as Savior, and then basically they go and live their lives however they want to go, however they want to live. No concept of what it means to really be under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. This is what God's telling Abram. He's saying, hey, by the way, if you're going to follow me, I'm going to be your God. I will be your Lord, and you will obey me. It's going to have to radically transform and change your entire life. How many times do we see people in the church get saved and nothing changes about their life? No change. No transformation. No, de no new desires. No, no radically different behavior. None of that. Attitudes. All those things. They can just stay. See, right here in, in, the, in the cultural Christianity that we live in, guys, it's easy to identify with Jesus and never have to change a thing in your life. And that's unfortunate, because that's not the gospel. The call to follow Christ comes with a considerable cost. Jesus does come to us as we are. That's, that's the good news. We, you don't have to get your life cleaned up to, to, to trust in Jesus. I need you to hear me say that. He comes to us just as we are. He loves you too much to leave you there. Amen. You hear what I'm saying? Yeah, come to Jesus just as you are. That's fine. But understand, he's going to call you to life transformation. He loves you too much to leave you in the lifestyle that you're living in. He wants to change your life, and he wants to do a great work in your life, and that's when we have to count the cost. Even if we are hated like him, which is very, very likely in our culture. So what is Jesus asking us to give up? I'll give you a list. He's asking you to give up your future. That's a tough one, isn't it? Because we want what? We want control. I got to be in control. No. I need you to give your future to me. That means the next five minutes, the next five days, and the next 50 years. Give it up. He's asking us to give up our family. What? In other words... What did Jesus say? If you love your mother, father, brothers, sisters, children, if you love them more than you love me, you're not what? You're not worthy of me. How many of us allow our family to be an idol to get in the way of what God is really calling us to do? We, it happens all the time. And it's the best excuse because it's a good thing. God wants us to have a good family, to love our family. But he, oftentimes... We use that as an excuse to ignore the calling of God to call us to do something different and radical that the rest of the world is not willing to do. Our family can get in the way of that. 
our friends, our lifestyle, our dreams, our desires, I need popularity. He's calling us to give up our comforts, our safety. That's a big one. Oh, man, we're in a culture right now. Maybe we've got to keep everybody what? Got to keep everybody. Can we keep everybody safe? No. If you wake up in the morning and walk out your door, and if you're like me and you drive on I-240, you're putting your life at risk every single day. You can't live in a bubble. They tried to make us, but we can't. Safety, our fears, our plans, all of these things Jesus is calling us to be willing to give up. What did Jesus say? He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. So I just want to make sure we're all clear. Are you, are you really sure that you know what you signed up for when you said yes to Jesus? That's the big question. What is holding you back right now from really trusting Jesus to take that next step of faith in the journey that God's calling you? Those are questions I can't answer for you. So the third thing is that so we got the call of Abram. We've got the cost, that it, the consider, the count the cost of what it means to follow Jesus Christ, guys. It is a commitment that Jesus is calling us to. And you know what he told, uh, told us in the gospel, too? We take up our cross every single what? Daily. It's got to be a daily submission to the Lord, right? Now, let's look at the covenant promises. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time here because next week we're going to look at these more in detail. But think about what Abram was willing to give up. Okay, yeah, maybe he was comfortable. Maybe he had some wealth in, in uh, Babylon. Maybe he had his place in society. Maybe he was there with his family. Okay, all those things are great. But listen to what God says. Hey, listen, if you're willing to give these things up, Abram, I've got so much better for you. And isn't that the way God works? Hey, I need you to separate yourself from this group of friends because they're no good for you. But those are my friends, God. What are you talking about? I'll, I'll give you what? New friends. I'll give you better friends. But first, you've got to be willing to separate yourself from these friends. That's what God's telling Abram. He said, Abram, if you're willing to follow me, if you're willing to be obedient, I've got these promises for you and for your family and for your descendants that are beyond anything that you could possibly imagine. In other words, it's a pretty good trade, Lord. I'm willing to give up and leave my life behind, but you're willing to give me something so much greater. That's the beauty of God's grace and redemption in our lives he always turns everything into blessings and good gifts far exceeding anything that we could possibly ask or imagine and many of us are missing out on so many of the blessings of God in our life because we're just not willing to go and to be obedient and take that step of faith Amen. what God has to offer us is infinitely better than anything this world can offer do you believe that we say we believe it. And I, I, I'm, I'm with you too, yes. But do we really believe that? Because we get stuck in these places where we think, God, I don't know if I'm so sure about what you're calling me to do because I'm going to have to give up something. I'm, again, I'm going to have to give it up. And we think that what we have is better than what he has for us. You know what that means, guys? That's the definition of faith. Do you really believe in God's word and his promises? That's what it boils down to. That's why Abraham is called the father of faith. He's a man of faith, okay? We're going to see that. Not perfect, but a man of faith. And so God wants to give us 
immense treasures and rewards, not even not only in this life, but also in the life to come. Now, listen to what it says about Abraham in Hebrews 11. Even though he knew, now listen, this is critical. Abram knew that he would not receive all of the promises that God gave to him and his descendants, that he would not necessarily receive and realize those promises in his earthly life. I mean, I got to make mention of this before we move on. It says that Abram, in Hebrews 11, it says, By faith Abram, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, listen, as a foreigner in the land. Did Abraham ever own a piece of the promised land? He did not. He traveled as a nomad. He never had a place to really put his roots down and say, this is my land. But he was living on the promise that God said, I'm going to give this land to you, Abram, and he will. And I'm giving this land to your descendants after you, and he will. It hasn't been fully realized yet. That even includes you and me today. But it says, Abram came, he was living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. He was looking forward to a better country, a heavenly city. So what are the promises that God made to Abram? I'm just going to give you these real quick, and we'll, we'll touch on these more next time. Ready? He promised to make him into a holy nation. Okay? A distinct nation of people. He promised to make Abram's name great, a famous name. Here we are, almost 4,000 years after Abram walked the face of this earth, and we're still what? We're still talking about him. He has a famous name, Father Abraham. He says, I'm going to give you divine favor and protection. So Abraham, if you come with me, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you grace. Even your enemies will be against me. Don't worry about it. I got you. That's what God's telling Abraham. Then he says, I'm going to give you a land, a territory. I'm going to give you a kingdom has to have a territory. He, and we'll see that on down the road, what the land is. And then lastly, but certainly not least, he said, I'm going to give you a descendant one day from your seed. And this descendant is going to be the seed of the woman that I told Adam and Eve about way back in the garden. And he has this unique purpose. He's going to crush the head of the snake. And he's going to be the savior of the world. And he's going to be called great, the son of God. So it was through Abram's seed that all the nations of the earth would be what? Would be blessed. So these are the promises that God made to Abram. Pretty good promises, wouldn't you say? That's a pretty good trade-off if you ask me. Okay, you're going to deliver me out of pagan idolatry in Babylon and give me a new life and a new purpose and descendants and favor and blessing and a nation and a land. And, and not, not only that, but the, the Savior of the world, the Son of God, the Messiah is going to come through my lineage. Not a bad trade-off, I would say. All right, now, the last two things. So we got the call of Abram. He had to count the cost. The Lord said, I got these covenant promises that we're going to look at more in depth next week. And then Abram had to have the courage to obey. Courage. Genesis 12.4. Look at the very first line of 12.4. So Abram went. He obeyed. He made the right decision. That's why we're still talking about him today. 
He made the decision that would change his life forever and the life of his descendants. He left a legacy of faith that is forever recorded in the Holy Scriptures. And man, he has so much to offer us today in, in how to live, how to exercise faith. Sometimes not so much where he gives us negative examples, some things not to do. That's okay too. We'll learn from those too. But ultimately we see that Abram had the courage. Didn't even know where he was going. He was probably a little unsure. He was probably a little bit afraid. He, now this is key, guys, and I want to I just stress this. When it comes to your relationship with the Lord, you don't have to have all the answers. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Well, God, I know you're, I know you're calling me to do this, but what about this? But, but I'm calling you to do this. I know, but what about it with this? And, and if that happens, what's going to happen down the... And God sometimes is saying, listen, if you knew everything that was going to happen down the road, you'd probably curl up under your bed and never come out of the house again. You don't need to see the whole big picture. That's why my word is a light unto your what? Path and a lamp unto your feet. All you need to know is one what? One step at a time. Amen. We don't have to see all the way down the road. We don't have to have all of the answers. And that's a beautiful example of what Abram was doing right here when he was obedient and had the courage to follow the Lord even though he didn't have all the answers. And look at how it rewarded him in the end. So it takes courage, guys. Now let me tell you something about what it means to have courage in this, in this world. If you're willing to obey God and follow God and be courageous enough to walk with him in this world, you're going to be a freak you're going to be an absolute anomaly on the earth. You will be weird and peculiar and unlike anybody else on the planet, except a small group of people who are trying to walk in obedience in the way that you are. 99, I'm, I'm, I'm convinced, maybe that's a high number, but I'd say over 90-something percent of the whole world is headed down this massive wide road and they feel good and they're floating all the way down to their destruction and they don't even fight it. And here we are, we're trying to swim what? Upstream. I saw a quote the other day, and it said, I, I can't remember who it was that said it, but it says that um, when everybody in the world is running off a cliff, you look like you're crazy if you're running in the other direction. You, see, you get the picture? That's the picture of a believer. We're taking the narrow path. We're, we're taking the hard way. We're swimming upstream. We're fighting against the grain. We understand that God has not called us to this life of sin and just giving up and following the, the world and its ways and headed down this, this broad way that leads to death and destruction, guys. It's going to cost you, and you're going to look different, and it takes a tremendous amount of courage. And i got to say this, and this is what breaks my heart the most. Most of the time, at least in my experience, it's not the rest of the world that's going to ridicule me and discourage me. It's who? It's our church family. It's other believers. They start to see you being radical. Oh, man, you might need to calm down a little bit, man. I don't know if you, you know, you're, you're taking this faith thing a little bit too what? Seriously. Do you know why we get that oftentimes from our church family, from other believers? Because it, it shows them and convicts them that they're not being what? Faithful and obedient. Don't let even other believers discourage you because they'll call you crazy quicker than the world will. Trust me. And so we need to understand that obedience, if you hadn't heard anything I've said today, remember this, obedience brings 
blessing. Write it down. When you obey, it will always bring what? Blessing. A lot of people in our, on our staff, we, we talk about this often. We look, again, it's easy to measure by numbers. Oh, how, how many people are you running, brother? How many people y'all got going in the church now? I hate that question. What does that have to do with anything? How is God moving? How are you serving? What is God doing in the life of your people? Are you seeing growth? Are you seeing evangelism? Are you making disciples? Those are better questions, right? So how do you measure success in ministry? By numbers? How's the budget looking, man? Y'all got plenty of money? Is that how we measure success in ministry? No, you measure success in ministry one way. Success in ministry equals obedience. If you do what's right and you obey the Lord, you are being what? Successful. Period. That's it. And that's what Abraham understood. Now you may say, now that was easy for Abraham though. I mean, God actually like came and like appeared to him. Like that, that had to be a lot easier for him. But we got to understand this. The Lord may have revealed himself and appeared to Abraham, but, but he, he gave him time to think. He gave him time to, 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 to flesh this out. And in a lot of ways, guys, I'm going to be quite honest with you. We have advantages that even Abraham didn't have. We have what? The Holy Scriptures that he did not have. And believers have the promise of the Holy Spirit that I do not believe Abraham had the capacity to uh, understand and appreciate at that time either. So in many ways, we have advantages that even Abraham didn't have. All it does is comes down to courage. Do you have the courage to obey, even when the rest of the world is looking at you like you have lost your ever-loving minds? Big question. Lastly, but not least, we have the call of Abram. We had to consider the cost. There are covenant promises. There is a courage to obey. Do you have the courage? And the last one is the culmination of the Christ. The word Christ is the Greek, was the English translation of the Greek that we would get the word Messiah from, or in the Hebrew, Mashiach. There is a one anointed one, the anointed one that we're all, that Abraham and every generation after him was looking forward to. He was going to be the unique, again, son of God, the savior of the world. He was promised in the garden. We see him coming all the way through the Holy Scriptures until that day in the fullness of time. God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those of us who are in sin. That is Jesus. So right here in Genesis 12, we are already seeing foreshadowings of the promised one, the promised Messiah. Now back to that one thing I said to you earlier about the Lord appeared to, to Abram. If he did appear to Abram, Abram in physical form, which I have, I'm of the persuasion that he probably did. You've heard me say this before, but I think it's very interesting. The Lord is making these promises to Abram. And he said, Abram, in you, in your seed, there's going to be one coming in your, in your descendants who will bless the whole world. And if that was the Lord appearing to Abram in physical form, the Bible says that God the Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. Amen. So my understanding is that it was God the Son that we now know as Yeshua or Jesus, right? But that was God the Son speaking to Abram in a 
pre-incarnate form, human form, physical form. Abram was able to interact and talk with him. And we're going to see this even down the road in, in Genesis 17 and 18 before the Lord destroys Sodom and Gomorrah. We see it again. However, the irony in all of this is it's Jesus, in my estimation, talking to Abram about the coming of Jesus. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Hey, Abram, I'm here with you, but one day, man, I'm going to be a child born through your descendants way on down the road, a couple days later, 2,000 years. Isn't that fascinating? That's why when I think Lynn read in Galatians, it says that the Lord preached the gospel to Abraham in advance. Well, what, what was that all about? It's right here. It's through these encounters that the Lord preached and explained to Abraham at least the best that he could understand what the good news of the gospel was all about, that we're going to have to all put our hope and faith and trust in this one called the Christ, the coming Messiah. And so we see that nothing is impossible with God. So I'm going to ask our, uh, I'm going to ask, I think Dion's coming up, we're going to sing a, a song here, but I, I got one more application that I want you, because again, we're going to talk a lot more about this as the weeks go on and we look at the covenant promises of God. But here, here's my challenge to you guys, here's my encouragement to you. I was talking to a good friend of mine yesterday and we were just talking about our, our journeys of faith. And everybody in this room is on a journey. Think about that for a second. And regardless of where your journey has taken you up until this point, some of us have gotten stuck in this, in this complacency where we've just done the same thing over and over and over and over again for years and years. And And I'm not saying there's anything in the world wrong with that. Because you know what, sometimes I think we get caught up in our mind that we got to go and do all these amazing things for God. When in reality, if we just love our wife and lead our children and love our neighbor and serve our fellow man, that's doing what? Amazing things for God. So so don't don't get disillusioned when I tell you this. But at the same time, I want you to remember that you're on a journey. You wake up, you walk, you make choices, you you set priorities, you, you have goals. All of these things are very much similar in our lives. But I want to ask you this. Have you ever really considered the cost to what it means to follow Christ? And if any of us in this room today have failed to be obedient to that call of God in our life, if there's anything in our life that's holding us back or that we're unwilling to let go of, like Abram was was willing to cut ties with his old life, if there's any of those things in our old life that's holding us back from really experiencing the joy and the blessing and the beauty of walking with God in this world by faith, then guys, I'm going to ask you right now, during this time of invitation, during this time of response, I just want you to be honest with the Lord. Because it doesn't matter necessarily how we started. But I think that we all have a good lesson to learn. It's more about how we what? How we finish. So no matter where you have been and where you've come from, from this day forward, we can finish well. We can finish in faith. Because without it, it's impossible to please God. So the creator of the universe is calling you into a personal relationship on a journey of faith. Are you willing to take up your cross and follow him? This is the key. No matter where it leads. Will you pray with me? Father, I just pray that as we think about these things today, 
that you would bring conviction where conviction is needed, that you would provide grace, Lord, that amazing grace where it is needed. And Lord, help us all to be more conscious of the areas of our life that are not pleasing to you or where we are disobedient to you. And Lord, we just, we just want to be like Abram. We, we, we want to be willing to follow you no matter what, no matter where it leads. So help us, Lord, forgive us. And thank you for your patience with us, your grace with us, and Lord, for your promises that never fail. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, guys, let's all stand together. We're going to sing one more song. faithfulness morning 